the bar for somebody's attention has risen. And so whether we like it or not, any L and D content, any educational content is competing with TikTok. That does not mean that the LNG training that you know somebody wants is necessarily on there. But when an, somebody has a choice to watch something, that is a choice the person has to make. So something as compelling as that. So for us, we want to make our classes as compelling as possible. And so for that, it's using uh, emotion and story and aesthetic. And the aesthetic is not trying, hey, it just has to like look good. No, no. We want you to, to as you mentioned, to be immersed in that person's world. That was Masterclass founder and CEO, David Rochier. And in this podcast, it was really fun to sit down with David and really go behind the scenes in Masterclass. It's a, a very unique learning platform that if you haven't experienced it, I definitely recommend you check it out. And we get into the cinematic nature of the content, how they identify and recruit masters to teach courses, and their new Masterclass at Work platform. Uh, and so we cover all that ground and a lot more, and I'm really excited to bring that conversation to you right now. All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams. From the kickoff to weekly update meetings to interview coordination and every step in between, this helps them clearly understand your work style, culture, and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world. Founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next generation HR programs, and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining Work Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm joined by the founder and CEO of Masterclass, David Rogier. And we're gonna talk about learning, we're gonna talk about content, we're gonna talk about video, and a lot more. So this is a conversation I'm really excited to have. And uh, David, thanks so much for making time to join the podcast. Um, I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the audience. Yeah, of course, I'm excited to be here. Um, I'm David. I'm, uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Masterclass. I'm somebody who has gotten tr in trouble at school um, because I asked a lot of questions and I probably didn't deal great with authority, but I was also somebody who always loved to learn. Um, and I think that was a big impetus behind Masterclass. Yeah. Well, let, let's dig into that a bit more. Like walk, walk me through kind of the origin story and inception of, of Masterclass. How did the company come to be? It's a bit of a crazy story. I was working in venture capital and to be honest, I didn't love it. I don't think I was that good at it. And I went to my boss and I said, thanks so much. I'm going to go start something. And he said, what? And I said, I'm not sure yet. And he's like, well, pitch me on something. And so I told him, well, I don't know, I'm going to think of some ideas and, you know, I don't know, I got a bunch in my mind, I want to try some. And he's like, I'm going to invest. And I was like, what? I don't have an idea or team. And, you know, uh, he invested just under half a million dollars. And basically, 
I had to go think of an idea that was awesome and kind and terrifying. Yeah. Because for the first time in my life, I didn't have any constraints, right? Almost in every job and work you have, you have constraints. Two, I felt immense pressure of this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and I don't want to mess it up. But then three, you can't complain about that to anybody because it, it is an awesome opportunity. You're not getting a hug from anybody about that. <laughs> so I really thought long and hard and somebody gave me a, a, a really great piece of advice. She said, choose something, even if it fails, you would be proud of it, which to me was a, it was a constraint, right? And sometimes I think having a constraint helps you be more creative. And I thought long and hard about the things I really care about. Um, I did, I uh, did user interviews. I posted on Craigslist asking to talk to people. Um, I was raised in part by my grandmother who instilled in me that education is the only thing that someone can't take away from you. And that kind of all combined. And I said, hey, if I have one chance, I want to build something that people can't take away from others. And that means education. And then I started thinking, hey, I love to learn. How come I don't like to take online classes? I love to learn. How come I didn't love school? The world is changing at a faster rate than ever has. If I look at my mom and dad, the things that they learned in school would last them for most of their life. That's no longer the case now. If you're out of the cycle for six months, the world changes. And, and it made me really think about if I designed a school for the rest of your life, what would it look like? And one of the biggest differences compared to the school that we're all forced to go to is you have to want to do it, right? You have to enjoy it. And so said, what if you could combine the worlds of things we love to do and watch, like um, like movies, right, and to learn interested in people who have achieved amazing things and combine that with things that you actually really need to know. And so if you can make it possible for anybody in the world to learn from the best, but in a way that looked as good as an Oscar-winning film. And that was the idea of Masterclass. So we launched with five instructors. Um, it was Annie Leibowitz. James Patterson, Justin Hoffman, Usher, and Serena Williams. The, that was our first five, and we launched in May of 2015. You know, I think I imagine listeners have, uh, might be familiar with those names. They, 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 they have a bit of a you know, a brand cachet of, uh, of mastery in their different domains. How do you, I mean, obviously the, the platform has grown over the last 10 years, and if you look at the roster of, uh, of instructors, uh, I mean, it is a who's who of people who are at the very pinnacle of their field. And so how, I'd love to get a sense from you of like, how, how do you pick instructors? What is the process of kind of, uh, identifying? And these are all people who are, uh, obviously very much in demand for a range of reasons, um, and through a range of platforms. And so how, what's the process of like identifying and recruiting people to join masterclasses instructors? I mean, at first it was impossible. I mean, yeah. <laughs> everybody said no to us, right? Um, and then now we probably say no to nine out of 10 people. We do it based on a combination of factors, but it's research driven. So it's who do people want to learn from? Who is it other masters would want to learn from and respect? Um, you know, we, we talk to a lot of employers and companies with what skills do they think people need to learn and know. We talk to employees at companies. Um, 
we look at book sales, we look at social, um, we do our own proprietary algorithms. You know, there, there are obvious people, right, who people want to learn from, right? Barack Obama. I don't need a survey or analytics to tell me people want to learn from Barack Obama. But part of our job is to also bring to you folks that you should know. And that we use a lot of math and stats to surface those folks. And then it's to figure out what things do you actually want to learn from that person. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting. And I think that the the, the breadth of content and masters you have teaching, um, I think, again, like it hits, you know, you can see some of the known uh, leaders in different disciplines, as you mentioned, but you can also see people that maybe, you know, I... I I was a, a customer and I remember, and, and forgive me, I'm forgetting his name now, but uh, one of the leading sleep scientists. His name is Matthew Walker out yes. of Berkeley. His class is awesome. It's really interesting. So, you know, um, we, you know, launched um, a product that's designed for enterprises. It's called Masterclass at Work. And we, not only do they get access to all our classes, but we also make some content classes that are just for those folks. And we create a bunch of tools that are just for those folks. And the adoption of that has been way faster than I ever imagined. So uh, we already have half of the Fortune 100 as customers. And what surprised us is some of the classes that are most watched are ones that you would expect. The Bob Iger class is for the watch. But one of the most watched classes, Lars, from employees is actually Matthew Walker's class on sleep science. And we had, you know, a large firm approach us being like, hey, we see the number one class our employees are watching is the sleep science class. Do you think that we have a work-life balance issue? I'm like, yes, you do. But <laughs> what's so awesome about what that company did was saying, hey, in the past, you'd say, hey, how somebody spends their time at home does is not is not our problem, right? That's their problem. But I think what firms and companies are starting to realize is like, no, no, no. How somebody sleeps at home, how they feel at home, how their mental health is impacts how they how that person works. And if we can help them there, not only is it good for the company, but it's also the employee is gonna be thankful for it and appreciate that investment and care into themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I think that it connects to the broader conversations we have in the new world of work of just, you know, wellness, uh, mental health, well-being. Um, you know, it, it's a lot more than just the traditional. I think, you know, we used to think about employee support and healthcare in terms of, you know, medical benefits and dental and vision. And it's I much think, more than that, right? Yeah, like, so much more than that. And so that's, yeah. uh, that, that's interesting. The, uh, you know, a lot of our audience are uh, HR leaders and, and practitioners. And so Masterclass at Work is probably something that they should be on their radar. How does, how does the platform work? You mentioned, you know, obviously having access to the full library of content, um, but for the, the kind of tailoring of the content, perhaps playlists or tools that you design specifically for your corporate partners and the companies who subscribe, what does that look like? Can you, can you give me a little more insight into that? Yeah. So Masterclass at work, they get access to all classes, right? But what they also get access to are ways that our team works with them to say, hey, what are the most important needs or skills that your company and employees are facing? And how can we create custom paths and playlists that address those? And then, you know, in the future, you know, how they can do it in cohorted groups so they can have groups of their employees to do that. We also provide facilitation guides along with that. And yeah, it's really 
trying to help those companies work on the crucial leadership skills, on the soft skills, um, and on culture. You know, I want to come back to something you said earlier when you were, um, you know, kind of walking us through the initial concept and thesis for Masterclass and and the production value you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, movie-like experience of learning. And I think that's, you know, if you haven't seen, witnessed any Masterclass content, definitely check that out and you'll see that that's pretty accurate. Um I'm, I, you know, from every instructor, every video that I've seen, there's, um, you know, while the, the, the layout, the room, the environment changes, the production aesthetic doesn't, if that makes sense, right? Like the, the lighting, um, the arrangement of the room, you can just tell that a lot of care goes into that. Um, and I think especially in an environment where, you know, if you go back to the early days of the pandemic, when you know, much of the conversations we had were, you know, via Zoom or Teams or Google Meet. And, um, you know, we'd go to webinars and see content and it was, you know, content and maybe it was 1080p, but it, it was, you know, somebody's office. Right. And, and then you go to a platform like Masterclass and it's just this immersive cinematic, uh, you know, environment where you also have some of the best in class masters kind of teaching their craft. And so I'd love to just spend some time with you and learn more about how you think about the aesthetic, the design, um, the environment of the spaces that you have your masters teach in. So I'm going to be honest, aesthetic for us is like a second order thing. Here's the first order thing that then leads to this aesthetic. The bar for somebody's attention has risen. And so whether we like it or not, any L and D content, any educational content is competing with TikTok. That does not mean that the L and D training that you know somebody wants is necessarily on there. But when an, somebody has a choice to watch something, that is a choice the person has to make. So something as compelling as that. So for us, we want to make our classes as compelling as possible. And so for that is using uh, emotion and story and aesthetic. And the aesthetic is not trying, hey, it just has to like look at, no, no, it should be, we want you to, to, as you mentioned, to be immersed in that person's world. So if you're going to learn from Richard Branson or Bob Iger, it should be in their offices or look like their offices, right? It's a place where you would want to learn from them and be immersed in that person's world. And I remember when we launched Lars, um, you know, a lot of investors were like, I don't understand. Are you education? Are you entertainment? And you're like, hold on, that's a false premise. The best education is also entertaining. And so, you know, our hypothesis is if I can make it really compelling that you want to keep watching it, you're going to learn more. And what we're seeing in the results is our engagement rates are much are really high, right? Um, Much more than a traditional L and D product offering. And then as a result, you know, people are going to engage more and going to learn more. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the calibre of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before. I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners, and professionals. 
One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers, where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week. I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI Learning Lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at amplifytalent.com slash academy. Now, back to the show. That thesis makes total sense. And again, the, the, just the immersiveness of it. You feel like you're there with the instructor. And again, these are, you mentioned, you know, Bob Iger and, you know, Serena Williams and people who, you know, you know from afar and you follow their work. Um, but you know, when you see an athlete performing or you see somebody acting in a film, it's not, you know, it's not the same situation. And then when they're actually looking at you and kind of teaching you their craft. And so it's interesting just to kind of hear, hear the, the first order, second order approach, um, that you take. And, and, and it's even small things like, like eye contact. So anytime you watch an interview, usually the person isn't making direct eye contact with you with they're, they're making, they're slightly looking off camera because there's an interviewer at the other camera. So you're looking at it. And so the camera angle is just off. We have actually used a bunch of tech and practice to figure out a way that we can get eye contact to be straight on with the camera. It's a really small effect, but to your point, it's about that intimacy, like that I'm sitting right across from Kim Scott or from Andrew Newey. How do you use, you mentioned, uh, you know, masterclass at work and, and some of the clients you have there. How do you use masterclass internally? That's the way we make sure it's good. So um, <laughs> examples, um, we, so we just launched a class with Kim Scott, uh, the author Radical Candor. Mm-hmm. First of all, book's awesome. The class I think is even more awesome. Um, and so, you know, uh, we, we just had a couple weeks ago, our, our exec team took the class and we all took it as a group, right? Because we wanted that, co- that experience of doing it all together. Um, and we talked about it in discussion and then... And we then had Kim do a discussion with us. That's one. Another is um, we try in our internal training and presentations, you know, the first, you know, part is always use masterclass. So even in ways you don't necessarily expect it, um, I'm picking on Kim Scott here, but, you know, we are about to kick off our 360 feedback process. So how do we train people to give great feet to give, to give great feedback? We include a chapter from Kim Scott. And I think we really think about it as a leadership platform, as a soft skills platform. What are the soft skills that we're working on or we need somebody to apply for this part of their work? If it's empathy, if it's innovation, if it's creativity and incorporate that. So we do it all. And do you I'm curious, does it uh, cross over to your hiring process? At all, right? Do you do you give uh, whether it may be job descriptions, interview process? Like, did, how does that show up there? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of uh, the things we look for, and you know, people that join the team is we look, one of the things is we look for people that love to learn. Mm-hmm. People who love to learn, not only 
ask questions and are curious, interested in the world. So they tend to learn faster, right, and adapt faster. But they also tend to be nicer people because if you love to learn, you understand that you don't know everything out there, right? Um, and so, but the interview process, I mean, we talk about our classes and we talk about what things they've learned from them and what things they don't. And, you know, I've had an interview where somebody's like, I've never taken master class. You know, I haven't checked it out. Like, you know, that person's not showing that they love to <laughs> learn, right? So, right. yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's definitely like a, a very important part of our culture. And, yeah. So, you, I mean, uh, you know, so many instructors that I know you've learned from directly. Does anything, I'm sure a lot of things you learned that kind of stood out in the moment, um, but kind of looking back over all the, the masters you've had, is there, is there, you know, one, and I won't even limit you to one, one, two or three things that really just stand out that, you, you know, even today are kind of rattling around in your brain. One is from Sarah Blakely. She's the creator of Spanx, who, who just sold to Blackstone. In her class, one of the things that she talks about, which is like so fascinating, is every night when she was a kid, her dad would ask the whole family what's one thing that you failed at today? Because he wanted them to try new things. So it, it, it was to celebrate it. And I was like, that's such a fascinating thing. Like as a kid from a young age that like you're rewarded, right? Or acknowledged for things that you tried and you failed at. So much of our society and culture and education is about you know, only things that you are good at or things that you have done well. And I, you know, we really thought, how could we integrate that into not only personal life, um, but also into work? And so every week we send an e a note to the whole company of one thing that happened that week at the company that that either myself or somebody on the team failed at and what we learned from it. That's like a pretty rare thing, right? Usually yeah. like you send a thing, you all, it's all the raw raws. But anyway, you do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, but if, and if you do that, it starts becoming, okay, yeah, I tr we tried that thing. It was a really smart attempt. It did not work. Here's the things we learned from it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't become as a big deal because, you know, the first instinct, people want to hide things they failed at. They don't want to talk about it. makes them more scared to try anything new that fails. But if you make it as a normal process, all of a sudden, like, okay, great, next, right? And so, yeah. Look, it comes down to psychological safety, right? Totally. I mean, I think having that environment. Uh, I remember one of my uh, friends is the, uh, the lead chaos pilot. Is, which is the best title in HR, I think, at uh, X, uh, Google's Moonshot Factory or Alphabet's Moonshot Factory. Um, her name's AJ Thomas, and she kind of framed fail as a first attempt in learning. And love that. You know, they have a, you know they have a culture, obviously, of you know 10x Moonshot innovation. So they they have to kill a lot of projects that are successful, but are don't reach the bar that they need um, to continue investing. And so yeah, I think when you create that environment that normalizes failure. Um, even celebrates it, uh, that creates an environment of psychological safety, then people are just so much more uh, encouraged to take risks and try new things um, because they know that it's not, they're not going to be penalized for it. 100%. And I think, you know, some of the things that we've learned and see and firms and, you know, that, that we're is one is there is a regression in soft skills. So what I mean by that is over the past couple of years, we've been at home and over Zoom, right? So we've gotten worse at empathy, at collaboration. And what that leads to, as you point out, is 
things like psychological safe, being safe, right? The, the the safety of it. And so we have regressed in those things over the past couple of years, which becomes even more important than to actually really push and hone on those things. Because I'd argue in a hybrid work environment, those things are even more important because you miss a lot of the social cues that you would pick up in person. So you have to work extra hard at those things, right? Yeah. Today. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious to get your perspective as a, as a CEO. I, I mean, the, the conversation around uh, in-office, remote, hybrid, uh, you know, that's obviously was something we've been talking about since the pandemic, but it feels like we're in the early stages of a different chapter of that conversation where I think more companies are, um, you know, being uh, more uh, kind of rigid around bringing people back in office with more frequency, if not, you know, fully. As a CD, CEO, how do you think about that, right? Like you have, you have a workforce, you have to think about what's best for them, what's best for the business. H- how do you uh, kind of navigate those waters in terms of uh, location of employees? So I think about things is what things do we need to be a first mover on and what things do you not have to be a first mover on? So I mean by that is certain things there's an advantage to be a first mover and sometimes it's actually bad. So to send people home in 20, in, as a pandemic broke, that was important to be a first mover on. It's about the safety of your employees, right? So you're going to err on the like aggressive. So we decided, right? And I decided we're going to err on the aggressive side. So we sent our employees home way early, right? And there's a chance that we were wrong and it wouldn't, you know, grow or be as big, but it was unknown. And I'd rather err on the side of safety. Return, return back to the office, to me, there's less of a pressure need to be first mover. So you have an opportunity to actually learn from folks, to experiment, to test, to your point about it's okay to fail and learn things. So we've been running a bunch of tests and, and different ways to see what actually feels right for us, right? Uh, and I think what becomes clear is there's certain types of work that's really advantageous to work from home. There's also certain types of work that's really advantageous to be in the same room as a person. So hard conversations, way better to do in person, right? You pick up on tons of cue, even like Zoom. I don't know if anybody else ever feels this way or large, you feel this way. It feels like the audio, It uh, you have to wait till the other person stops talking for you to be heard. <laughs> yeah. Real conversations, that's not actually how it goes. So I don't mean people interrupt you a lot more, but also you say, mm, oh yes, I agree with you. Like all those small things, which are actually really hard to over Zoom. So there's just small cues that make difficult conversations much better in person. A brainstorm, a creative discussion, really important to do in person. I think the other thing is that I think, and, and we see this from our employers, is in person you also can like through osmosis observe behavior and learn from others. So if you sit next to your boss or near your boss, you see how they interact and engage with people. You see what happens when their boss comes to them. You see when somebody comes and complains to them and you miss that. And I think, you know, with without that, you have to work even harder on leadership and on job training because you're missing a lot of the osmosis, how people learned how to lead. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I appreciate the uh, the kind of window into into how you think about that as a CEO. Um, dream guest instructor, somebody who hasn't been on the platform yet, who uh, you know maybe maybe you've tried and haven't had success yet, or, or you somebody know, you who plan to is somebody alive or can be some, somebody who passed away. Who I would I'm, I'm going both. I'm going both. I'm gonna you know what what could be alive, one could be somebody who's no longer with us. Somebody passed away. I would love to. Um, there's an author named Isaac Asimov. 
um, who's a sci-fi writer who I'm not big in sci-fi, but uh, he painted worlds based on psychology, which are like really fascinating. So that would have been really fascinating. Um, obviously, the like Wright brothers on like how they decided to like jump off a hill or cliff with like basically a kite and a bicycle and that becomes a plane, like love to get in there. Um, in the past, another one, I really wish we had captured Maya Angelou. I would have loved to learn from her. I think she's really amazing. Um, okay, folks existing. I mean, there's a long list. Um, Barack and Michelle Obama, Oprah, Warren Buffett. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, tons. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah, tons. Yeah, it's always uh, interesting to see kind of who would be the the, the dream instructor list. Um, and, if any of them are listening to this podcast or if anybody who is listening to the podcast and knows <laughs> them well, love to chat. That's right. Hey, Brock and Michelle, if you are uh, tuning in, uh, you know, hit me up. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't have VIP packages, but I'll create one just for you. So uh, let me know. Um, and David, last question for you. You know, if you were to teach a class, um, what would your master class be? I think it's a long ways to go to, um, <laughs> to, to be, to be even close. But, um, if I had teacher class, um, I think two areas I'm really fascinated by and I feel like I, uh, I invest a lot of time trying to learn and process and understand both of how we learn. So yeah. something about that. And then two, you know, the journey of entrepreneurship like is fascinating. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about recently is that, it's um, so much of life is, and I think I was I'm trained to this, is to seek approval from others. Everything from the good grades you get, right, awards you get, uh, your parents, your bosses, right, you're seeking their approval. And entrepreneurship is the rejection of that because when you have an idea – Everybody's going to tell you that idea sucks. And I remember in the beginning that was so jarring because you're, 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 you want the idea where everybody's like, that's a great idea. But if everybody tells you it's a great idea, it's already been done and tried before. So yeah. by nature, what you want to do is you want to do the idea that everybody says is impossible. So like you literally have to, you have to decide I'm going to try to do the impossible and everybody's going to think it's a horrible idea up until it starts to work. Once it starts to work, everybody says, I told you it was a great idea. But I think <laughs> right. there's something from the psychological standpoint of that, that is so fascinating. And I, you know, and think about how do you incorporate that and allow for that in other parts of the world and society in your life? Because there's something about doing things that other people don't think is going to work that actually helps us lead to, to brand new things and to innovation. Um, so I don't know, you probably have one of those two topics. Yeah. Well, David, I really appreciate you making time to join me on the podcast, give us all a window into what you've been building at Masterclass and kind of what's next. So again, uh, check it out and check out uh, Masterclass at work. If you're in HR, uh, it's a tremendous resource. So you definitely want to uh, check that out and see if you can bring that into your learning portfolio. Awesome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, 
I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.